I mean, I have some people that I don't know how I can ever repay them for what they've done for me because they're at, you know, such a higher, like I just, you know, I'm always looking for ways, but just imagine that, you know, I mean, I have several mentors in, in, that I have good relationships with now that I am always, like they have a lot of my brain power, always thinking of ways of how I can improve their life and their business. And how many other people do they have? They probably have laundry lists of that, you know, right? Like for them, I guess it's another element of, of leverage there. So. Yeah, I mean, dude, it's it's led to you know a lot of great relationships, a lot a lot of great you know business partnerships launched off of it. It's it's not too infrequently. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, I have been waiting for this interview for so long because this is with Joshua Smith, my very first real estate mentor. And I can go into all the accolades, the 7,000 plus homes sold, the top 1%, 30 under 30, owners of softwares and brokerages and all of these myriads of opportunities and coaching, et cetera. But all of these accolades for me pale in comparison to the fact that I get to call this man my friend. And when I was getting started in the business, he took me on in a way that was just for me unbelievable. It was in the sense that I'm a couple months into the business. I get to go to his office and be on his podcast. My car breaks down. He picks me up, takes me to the podcast. We'll probably put a link to that in, in the video. And on top of that, he changed my life because he changed my beliefs about myself and what it was possible. And he shifted my career up years, if not decades. And so Josh, it's with like the greatest level of thankfulness and sincerity that I get to interview today. So thank you so much. And if you will, as always, take us, what's the craziest real estate experience you've had in your career, which I think started in 2005. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, first off, man, I'm, I'm so honored to be on here with you, dude. And it's been just such, so amazing, dude, watching your success journey, dude, and, and seeing all the amazing things that you've been able to do and create, man. So, you know, tr truly honored to be here and, and be part of your life. And um, yeah, so I'm excited for this, dude. You know, so, okay, crazy, you know, there's so many crazy things that we see in real estate, man, um, um, that we've had. I mean, I've had, um, God, I don't know where to start, dude. I mean, I've had situations where we've had to figure out how to go out there and what to do with the property and market a property because we had a body explode in the property, you know, um, um, where somebody had, had died in a property. Nobody had awareness of it. I guess when they when you die and they embalm, embalm you, you know, they're draining the fluids and so forth. Well, body filled so much with fluids, right? The body just totally exploded inside the property. Um, ended up being like a, you know, $30,000 remediation job. Um, you know, and then back in the REO days, dude, like back during the great financial crisis, that, that was not, that was a gnarly time, dude, you know, um, you know, having to have, uh, uh, you know, evicting people from their homes and sheriffs with guns drawn and your locksmiths, they're picking the locks and you're behind the sheriffs trying to, you know, whatever. And I, dude, I've had to like evict and impound people's turtles and dogs. And, you know, um, uh, I don't know. I, I, I've just in this business, well, I love, one thing I love about real estate, dude, there's never a boring day, dude. Absolutely. So like, do those moments give you like PTSD? Is the fact that maybe the market's changing, is is it like triggering old memories? Because uh, you were in the REO space and, and you had some crazy stuff going on then. Yeah, yeah. No, dude, it, it, look, I mean, business cycles happen, you know, um, um, and if anybody's going to jump into the business world for a long enough period of time, you got to understand that there's going to be different seasons, man. There's always a summer, spring, fall, winter. You know, there's always different cycles. There's, you know, recessionary time frames or it, it just whatever. It's just a, it's just a natural business cycle. And, and the cool thing is, is if you understand how to read markets within at least the given niche that you're operating within or whatever the, that industry is, you know, there's massive opportunities. Uh, regardless of, of what it is. So, um, you know, I'm ready for whatever's to come and, and, and get excited about it. I mean, there's been more enjoyable times, you know, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of enjoyable times about the great financial crisis too, too, as well, you know, right. A lot of great learning lessons and, you know, we'll see if it, if it gets that bad again, my belief is that it, it's, you know, going to be as bad, if not worse, um, you know, uh, that's yet to be seen, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's no PTSD here, man. I, I just soak everything up as a learning opportunity, you know, in the most challenging moments, dude, are the moments that facilitate the most growth, you know, so, you know, pain, pain and power come from the same place, dude. If you allow that pain to be your teacher, dude, you can learn so much from those experiences. Love this just by controlling the thoughts that you have. And, and along those lines with the market getting crazy, I mean, the Silicon Valley bank, I mean, these banks are already beginning to show signs of failure. There was like, there's like people trying to pull money, technical glitches. 
that was impactful to you back in the last crash, right? Wasn't it that you had all this money, like essentially lent out to these REOs because of the fact that uh, you were paying for expenses and then those banks went under? There, 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 there was some situations of that. Um, uh, like, you know, when, when I first got an REO, um, for the first, I, I, first couple of years, at least, you know, yeah, you had to fund like the cash for keys. If they need a new carpet paint, you know, um, you know, I mean, you had to fund out a lot of receivables. I mean, within about, you know, 90 days, I would say of being deep into, into the REO world, it got to the point where I was about a quarter million out in receivables. Yeah. And we had some instances like with accredited home lenders where, you know, I mean, I was about 40 grand that I had lent to them. Um, uh, you know, for those, for those receivables, if you will. Um, and yeah, they went BK, they went under and, you know, not like there's no getting that back, you know, but again, it's a cost of doing business, dude. It was, you know, if I, if I break it all down with the commissions that I made, you know, um, uh, it's like 99% of the banks that I worked with, I got that money back, you know? Um, so it, it was still very lucrative, profitable. I mean, just like, you know, I don't know if, if you're flipping homes or like, you know, once in a while, you're going to have a bad one you know, but the good ones make up for it. Totally. So talk to me about the mindset development of you, Joshua Smith, through the entrepreneurial process. Like, did you come into the game with a complete ownership mindset or was it getting kicked in the teeth that started to develop it? You know, it was a little bit of both, dude. I I, uh, was blessed to, my father, you know, was and is an entrepreneur, um, owned gyms, you know, so I grew up in that space. He owned and operated gyms for 30 years before he got into real estate. And, and, um, you know, so I was, I would grew up in, in that world, man. I grew up in the gyms. I grew up, you know, sort of working for my dad when I was like 11, you know, sort of just cleaning equipment and you know, doing laundry at the gyms and towels. And then, you know, started getting the sales at 14 and, you know, being able to see how the back end of, of operations worked and, you know, so forth. So, you know, I always knew that I wanted to get into business of some sort. Um, uh, and honestly, I thought I was always going to be in the health club business. Um, I actually got into real estate uh, to go out there and just raise some capital. It's supposed to be a short-term thing to raise capital, go out there and, and be able to fund, you know, at least have enough for for a down payment to to get investors to speak with me. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I ha- you know, had that element of a background, but, you know, I'd be also lying, dude, if it, it, it was it was a great experience to show me to allow me to understand what I wanted, but I still had a lot of lessons to learn, dude, of, of you know, getting my ass beat over and over and over, you know, to develop myself into a good entrepreneur. I mean, you got to go through some of that struggle. I mean, you can, you know, obviously shortcut that process and learn a lot from mentors and those that have done it before you, but there's an element of, you know, getting your ass beat and going through those learning lessons as well. What learning lessons does the health world, health club world teach that maybe real estate doesn't teach as much? You know, I, I, dude, there's so many similarities, man. Um, you know, it, it was, well, it, it, okay. I mean, it was like, if you looked at now, I was on operation side. So not, you know, I never really enjoyed the personal training component that much. I mean, I love the sales side, running the sales teams and, and just, you know, running the facilities. So, so a lot of similarities there. It's like when I first started building my real estate team, real estate teams weren't even a thing. You know, I jumped in the business in 2005, started my team in 2006, and it wasn't that they didn't exist, but it was nothing like it is today. And I'm also kind of aging myself, but it was like, dude, there was no podcast. There was like YouTube, social media wasn't even, <laughs> didn't even really exist at that point. You know, um, um, so a lot of this stuff was kind of figuring that stuff out. But because of that experience that I had, I mean, I had experiences as, uh, you know, running health clubs where, you know, I would, I would start like, you know, in the parking lot doing pre-sales as the facilities being built, you know, and it's like, okay, you start off, you're the only sales guy, you get up to a certain membership base. Okay. Well then it makes sense to then bring on, you know, an admin support, you know, and then you take it to the next level. Then you start building out the sales team, you know, and then, you know, I'm able to exit from that, go to the next, you know, and kind of go from a manager of a location with district manager and building sales team. So, you know, that was a great foundation. And then, you know, I mean, when it comes to the sales process, dude, it was about identifying, okay, like they're obviously there for a need, right? So in the sales aspect, and whether it be selling on memberships or personal training, you know, it's about finding out, figuring out, okay, where they're at, where is it that they truly want to go? Like, what, what's the pain and pleasure? What's the ple- pain that they're currently experiencing? What's the pleasure that they want their health to be? Then just articulating that we have the best facility and the best game plan to get them from where they're at to where, where you know, they want to be. And I, I you know, was able to translate that into real estate, you know, obviously very well. I, I think that um, 
I mean, pretty much everybody that I know that came from the health club, at least from an operation standpoint, is crushed it in real estate. I think there's so many great foundations. Also, you learn a lot if, if you're in you know a higher level in that industry. Um, uh, it, it, like when it comes to location, uh, uh, like identifying locations and location placement. Okay, well, in the health club industry, dude, it is all about understanding the demographics and, and location placement is, dude, like if you don't nail that, you're going to get it wrong. You know, so we had to know like what, what are, you know, one mile demographic, two mile, three mile demographic is ingress. Like there were so, so many things there that I was able to carry right over to real estate. You know, it's like when I got in real estate, I started looking at that just like I would if I was in the, the, you know, lens of, of, you know, opening a location for a health club, I started looking at, okay, well, where are the saturations in my market? So I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. So I'm like, okay, well, central Phoenix, man, just massively saturated. You know, everybody wants to be like in the built more of the Scottsdale area, the kind of more sexy, you know, higher price point places to be. I'm like, okay, let me identify like, where is their growth? Where is their, where, you know, growth opportunity, but I have little to no competition. You know, and I just started setting up and just building up my geo farms, if you will, on these kind of outside, like 45 minutes around, you know, the city where I could see those growth opportunities that, um, again, man, I just had had the least amount of resistance. They were big, expanding, growing cities, but nobody really wanted to be there from an agent perspective. They didn't, you know, I get asked all the time when I go to agent events, like, like you're working there, like, why, why do you work that area? I'm like, <laughs> for the exact reason that you have that look on your face. Yeah, right. Um, because I had the least resistance. People wanted to buy homes. They wanted to go out there and transact, but you know there was no established. There was no competition. You know. Um. So yeah, there was a lot of great foundational lessons that that have parlayed extremely well in this business. That's great. I mean, so you're talking about like you talk about pain and pleasure. Like this is such a concept that's tied into copywriting and like you talk about avatars and so on and so forth. That's super amazing. So let's talk about like. So you talk about geographic area. When I came into contact you, the thing that like made me leap out of my seat to call you a bunch of times. At that point, you didn't quite have the program that you have now. It was it was close, but I was like, dude, I got to learn from this guy. You were the first one I ever saw, probably the first one ever, in my opinion, that was guerrilla marketing, like you were in health clubs or in a car dealership. Like coming back to that, like tell me how that evolved. Like what led you to go? I got to send out fifty thousand direct mail pieces. You, I think you were the only one that I heard uh, teaching. Like I got to have fifty to seventy-five signs out there to drive traffic to the open house. That was like an unheard of concept back then. Yeah, man. You know, you, you got to like I do. I've always loved marketing. I mean, I love human behavior, human psychology, sales, marketing. You know, and and when you're in a very saturated space, like obviously real estate's very saturated. So. And I'm, I happen to be in one of the most saturated real estate markets per capita on the planet. So, you know, there's like 60,000 agents in my area, right? So it's like, okay, well, what differentiates me from the other 59,999 of them? Like, how am I going to go out there and get attention? Like, what is, what is that unique selling proposition? What are, what are those differentiators? You know, and, and, and so that's part of it. You know, so I'm always looking at that. What, like anything that I'm doing, again, it's, I mean, whether it be a business card, or like, you know, all the way from the most simplistic to, to the more advanced stuff. You know, it's okay. Like, how can I stand out doing this activity? And then how can I maximize this? You know, I learned from Jim Rohn a long time ago. He, you know, he, he said that, um, you know, with any, any different business, there's usually about a half a dozen different fundamentals that if you can identify those and then you can master those, like you're pretty much going to have success in any, any given, you know, field that you go after. And, and, you know, so I was like, okay, well, what are the, ba you know, what are those fundamentals of, of, of building a real estate business? You know, and it starts with, you know, if you look at like a, a think of it as a sales funnel, a real estate business sales funnel, all sorts of activities, you know, so, so then from there, okay, then activity exists to go out there and generate leads, meaning the exchange of somebody's contact information for something of value. Value, you know, then I'm going to obsess over maximizing every single activity that I do to go out there to generate the most amount of leads, you know, with that. So, you know, breaking that down, that comes from activities to messaging, you know, just to go out there and maximize that. So like with open houses, it's like, okay, like, dude, I, you know, no, step number one is I got to get traffic. I got to get as many human beings in there as possible, you know? Um, and then what, what I started doing is part of my, um, you know, conversations and part of my guest registries, when people walked in, I just started asking, I'm like, well, what brought you in today? Like, like, how did you, how did you hear about the open house? You know, cause I was also doing a lot of other promotions, you know, with voicemail drops and flyers and, you know, we were doing a lot of different things, but I needed to identify, you know, what was really working. Well, like nine, it was like over 90%. We're like, Hey, we saw it coming come from the science coming from the science. So then I was like, okay, well that shows me the importance of the science. So let me then start split testing. Okay. If I use 12 versus, you know, 15 versus 20 versus 50 versus a hundred, you know, um, then I started, you know, just, it, it, 
again, it's just like each event that you do breaking down. So if we look at open house, just an example, okay, I got to get them in the property, then I got to get them to register, you know, right? Um, then I got to go out there and do the tour, develop that connection, you know, and so forth. Then I got to ask for the appointment, right? And then of course, you know, I've got the follow like post open house follow up activities. So breaking each of those down separately, and then at the end of each open house, deeply reflecting on each one of those those points, and then seeing, okay, how can I enhance this? How can I improve this on each each you know each each stage of of the process? You know, um, so then even like with the sign things, you know, sort of looking at, okay, well, you know, how can I drive more traffic? You know, well, I found, okay, well, it, you know, if if I'm in with you know within a half mile of a really busy intersection on the weekends, okay, that's more signage that I get out there. You know, okay, well, if I'm in, you know, half mile of a busy, like a grocery store, right? Like a lot of people are visiting grocery stores. Then I started like just split testing and playing with, okay, man, these new builds, they go out there and do their, their, they're putting so much of marketing and radio and TV. How can I play off of that? So then I was like, okay, okay, if I can be within a half mile of new build developments, right? And then strategically place my signs along their side, you know, driving that more trash. So it was just, you know, really, really just, uh, um, you know, being obsessed with every step of that process to go out there and maximize it. But then, you know, you got to track what works. Like you got to make sure that you're not, you know, just exhausting and wasting efforts on things that are, are ineffective. So, you know, I don't know if that kind of, yeah. I forget the original let's, question. Let's, but. let's dive into, so the process of tracking and all those things, is that what's enjoyable for you? Is it about the results? Like what parts of what you just described are uniquely you that fuel your passion and how much of it is just, I like what I get when I do that. You know, um, uh, I do, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really process driven in the beginning, dude. My business plan originally was like, I've always been a workhorse. Like I love to freaking work when I'm not like, I, you know, I can't be, I'd never, I could never be one of these guys. It's like, Oh, I just want to chill and go sit on the beach. Like, I, you know, like I love working, you know, 60, 70, 80 hour plus weeks. Like I freaking love it, you know, right? Um, you know, but that was my business plan in the beginning was just, hey, I'm just going to go out there and outwork everybody. Now, you know, a lot of people will hear the success that I had out of the gate. And I'm like, yeah, but you didn't, you got to understand that they didn't see the foundation. It was like, dude, I had nine years of sales experience yep. in another industry before I got in. Like I knew how to go out there and sell. I knew how to prospect. I knew how to lead generate. I had, you know, all I had to do was slide out from health club memberships and personal training packages to, to you know, now selling myself to be, be a realtor, you know, um, um, you know, but uh, uh, it, it didn't, I didn't start getting process and systems and, and, and number driven until, you know, I started to experience pain. You know, this is about uh, uh, four years into the business or after three years going into my fourth year, you know, I was making more money than I had even realized it was really possible to make in real estate at that time. Um, you know, I got into business pretty young at 23 and it's pretty naive. Um, uh, but dude, like I was just miserable, you know, I'm working like 4am to midnight. It was just like, I had just so much weight on my shoulders. Um, and, and I was, I was more miserable than I was when I was broke, you know? And, and I was like, all right, like there's, I, I got to figure out a different way to do this. And then I just realized and discovered at that point, dude, the only way for me to go out there and really scale this thing, like, I got to work smarter, you yeah. know, like, okay, you can only work hard for so long. Yeah. Then from there, okay, we got to work intelligently, you know? Um, and let me stop uh, and, you here real quick I, and then we'll come back to it. I, I, but I, I want to ask the question because you and I both love working. Like it's like almost a sickness how much I think we, we enjoy it. But at that point, it was overwhelming to you. Something was going on where you didn't love it. Can you identify maybe the difference between why that many hours was either too much or you didn't love it versus the 70 or 80? Well, you know, like just that we, you know, had our daughter. Uh, um, so here I am, my office is a half mile, not even a half mile. I mean, I could fucking throw a stone and hit my, I mean, it was like, you know, I mean, a five minute walk from my house to my office. Um, and I'd go three or four days without seeing my wife and my new daughter, you know, and I'm like, I, like, I don't want to be, you know, yeah, I like to work, but I don't want to be an absentee father. You know, my health was completely going, you know, right. Like I do, I was in my freaking early, you know, early to mid twenties. And I thought I was going to, like, I was, I thought I was having heart heart attacks, yep. I was having like chest pains, you know, from just all, all the stress and the, you know, whatever from it. So it, it was an unhealthy, un, just unhealthy level, dude. And, and I just really, I knew something had to change. Like, cause I was going down a path that, that wasn't going to be winning for me. What was driving you to work that hard, given you were making more money than you ever made before? Um, uh, a lot of it was ego, dude, you know, yeah. right? Like, you know, <laughs> I, I kind of got into this industry. Um, uh, uh, well, again, when I first got in this industry, now all of this, the, the money that I wanted to make, it was out of ego to kind of prove the world wrong, you know, right? And then you, you do that. They, what, what, I look at it like whatever I can use for the fuel, I'm going to use that for the fuel. And at different stages of the game, there's different fuel that you have to tap into. 
you know, um, um, you know, but yeah, in the beginning, it was a lot of ego, man. It was, it was, you know, um, proving the world wrong, you know, and then I, then I just became obsessed with once, once I got a, a exposure to what was potentially possible and started getting around, you know, others that were much more successful than me, but realizing, okay, if these cats can do this. I can go out there and do this. You know, then it came about chasing awards and, 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 you know, and dude, like, man, I, I wanted to make some of myself, man. You know, I grew up, dude, like, you know, um, uh, without a lot and and even though you know my father was an entrepreneur and he had a couple locations but it wasn't like we were extremely wealthy by any any stretch of the imagination um in the first 14 years of my life you know we were we were you know pretty damn poor um and like i i you know from, i don't know really what it is i just knew internally and i've always been this way but it was just like dude like just the 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 thought of just being an average human being in any aspect of my life is not okay with me. Like I, I just, and dude, I don't care. Like whether I die rich, or die poor, I don't give a shit, but I'm going to go all in and do everything I can to, you know, do something and make something myself. And it's, it's at this point, you know, and or learned this earlier on, it's not about proving anything to anybody else, more just myself internally, you know? Um, but I just like mediocrity, just freaking just absolutely disgusts me, dude. You know? Right. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, there was a lot, there's a lot that I wanted to prove that I needed to prove, um, um, you know, for that. So this leads me to a question, which is essentially like using negative feel, right? Past traumas, et cetera. So talk to me, like, is that still happening today or have you found a different formula uh, as far as, so talk to me about using negative as fuel and how has that positively and negatively impacted you and what kind of fuel do you use today? Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't think there is a negative when it comes to fuel, dude. Like, look, I, I, and I don't, you know, try to play Dr. Phil, you know, I, I mean, I think a lot of, I think a lot of psychology is just absolute horseshit, dude. Um, I, I think a lot of it's just applied because we are in such a, uh, we've got PC a culture. Yeah, dude, we got such, so many weak, narcissistic, just human beings where, um, you know, that, that, that stuff's needed now today. So, um, uh, for me, I'm going to tap into any element of fuel that I need to tap into, you know, like, and, and, and somebody could say, oh, that, that, you know, that's a wrong, like, look at Michael Jordan, dude, like, you know, his MVP speech, you know, he went out there and he just, you know, just thanked all, anybody that doubted him, anybody that cut him, anybody that overlooked him, you know, right. And he would just obsess over that and utilize that as fuel. Um, and, you know, I had some situations earlier in my life where, again, there's, you know, certain and, and you know, I don't need to bring up who on this podcast, but, um, uh, you know, there were certain, you know, things and people that I wanted to go out there and prove wrong, you know, um, and that lasted for some time for several years, you know, until I got to a point where it was like, okay, you know, I did that, I've done that and things were good there in that aspect, you know, then I had to tap into that next thing. And the next thing for me, dude, is I, I became you know, extremely, whether you, you know, ego, like I said, ego driven, I guess they're all ego driven when it comes to these, but you know, then I just became like, it just became so important to me for awards, dude. Like I became obsessed with, I was like, dude, I'm going to win the, you know, NAR 30 under 30, yep. you know, like I'm going to be the number one Remax agent in the state. Like I just, I just, you know, set my, my, whatever it was for an award aspect. Like I didn't even care about the money. I was just like, dude, I just want the freaking awards, you know, right. The money was just a great byproduct. Yeah, absolutely. So all of this is a function of hard work, future thinking, et cetera. You said on a previous podcast, you have to work hard to be able to work smart. So if you could take us into like, give us the, how that actually works out in reality. How do you work hard to work smart? Yeah. So, um, you know, okay. Well, I'll just speak to real estate because it's something that you know, we know, you know, okay. So if, if, you know, for me to go out there and, and, like working, working hard to work smart, like working, like, okay, yeah, we got, we got hard work, which I think we can all understand and, and understand what that means, but then working hard at, at working smart, you know, right? Like, um, mastering your craft at a higher level. You know, I was breaking this down. We had a, a, a team meeting with my agents today and I'm like, okay, like you guys like, okay, we got transaction volume down right now, 39% here in, in Maricopa County. So that then means that if you got 39% lesser people that are willing or able to transact in this economic climate that we're in right now, okay, then we got to go out there and hedge and adjust for that. So we got to then plan on having to generate 39% more leads. So generation follow 39% more to get the same result. Right. And then if you want to scale from there, you can, you know, make those adjustments accordingly. But I'm like, it doesn't need to translate into 39% more hours. 
you know, right? Like if you, if you, if you, again, this is working smart, but dude, if you master your crowd, like let's just say, okay, well, I start working on my skill sets and I get, I become a way better communicator and I get way better at, at you know, my follow-ups, my conversations with setting appointments. Let's just say I increase my conversion ratios between lead to appointment set by 10%. Okay, well then for my appointment set, let's just say I, I, you know, really hone in and dial in and work on um, working hard on on getting my working, you know, my appointment set to conduction ratio. Like industry average is fifty percent. Okay, well if I can get that to seventy five percent, you know, um, that makes a big difference on my business. You know, so then from there it's like okay, um, um, you know, if I get my appointment conductions to client ratio and I can improve that by ten percent, you're you're able to go out there master crap at a higher level and just kind of you know tweak and improve even small improvements can make a world of difference. Like, especially like the digital marketing game, you know, that I'm, I'm in heavily as well. It's like, dude, if I, if I can get parts of that funnel increased by one or 2%, that can make the differences of, you know, six figures on a monthly basis of revenue, you know, right. Or more, you know, so, so yeah, when I'm talking about working hard at working smart, it's like, okay, well, I, I gotta, I gotta go out there, you know, master my craft and figure out what those levers are that allow me. It's like, what are the levers? What are the toggles? What are the dials that I can dial in? You know, I got to figure out what those are, you know, right. And, and, and to be able to go out there and, and maximize that overall result, you know? Um, so, it, you know, another example, when it comes to like just lead generation strategy, you know, okay, well, if I get really, you know, and this takes hard work, at least intentionally uh, initially and to get this stuff down, you know, um, um, but okay, if I'm identifying, okay, well, who is the current market good for? And I, I go out there and I do this work, right? So who's the market currently good for? Um, so that would be my ideal client, at least, you know, and I'll go walk you through the framework here real quick. Um, and I would do this framework differently for each different ideal client subset that I have, but it's, okay, well, who's my ideal client? You know, then I take the time to break down the demographics of that ideal client, get that laser focused in. Then I take the time to, to break down the psychographics, you know, right. Get that broken down. Then you tell okay, me the psychographics you're talking about personality, those types of things. Yeah. So, so in a very simplistic way, or a very simplistic way to explain this is, is like, like what, what are, what is, what are the pain points? You know, um, Pain pleasure. Um, yeah, I mean, at, at a deep level, psychographics and marketing is okay. Like, like brilliant, smart marketers understand they have to enter the conversation taking place in yep. the consumer's mind. You know, yep. right? Um, but the more that you can articulate that you understand the 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 concerns, the worries, the fears, the need, you know, the 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 pain points of your consumer, you know, that you're going after, the better. Now, each different ideal client is going to have a different, a, you know, a different pain point with that. It's almost like, okay, if my job is to get them from point A to point B, especially in real estate, you know, because like, we don't actually sell a product, right? When we're talking about real estate professionals, right? Our job is to articulate that we're the best guide to get them from the current living situation, to the situation that they want to go to, right? Well, then, okay, there's this wall that comes up, you know, hey, I want to buy, I would buy today, but interest rates are too high. Okay, bam, yeah, right now I got to go out there. Once I understand that, now I can go to the whiteboard, figure out, you know, proactive ways to solve that, right? Um, um, so, you know, psychographics there. Then we get into, you know, where do they congregate? Online, offline, right? Um, then from there, okay, based on my strengths and how I want to, you know, my strengths and my style, which is that fifth component. But when I start breaking that down, the ideal client demographics give me who I'm targeting. The psychographics give me what my message is going to be. Where they congregate shows where my message is going to show up. And then based on my style is in, in my strengths is going to be um, how that message is delivered. You know, right. So now I know who I'm targeting, what my message must be, you know, where it's showing up and how it's being delivered. Right. So when I put those pieces together, okay, well then now I can go out there and have a very, very effective lead generation strategy where I'm not having to sit there and pound phones all damn day, you know, right. Or, you know, like I get people that come to me, like I have a, a, a an inbound based business. Right. Um, you know, so it's like I get people that come to me, but whether, you know, whether it be my real estate business or my other businesses, I, I, I develop in a way because the way I like to do business is I want people coming to me. So they go through my funnels, they book calls with me or my team, they, they answer the phones, they're excited to talk to us, but they're coming to us. Right. So, like, if I'm, you know, if I'm going after expires, like, you know, most people are trying to chase, 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 you know, right now I get them reaching out to me to call me. Well, that took, you know, hard work to go out there and, you know, master that inbound, you know, marketing tactics, but now I can scale it so much further, you know? So that's where I, you know, when working hard to work smart, dude, is, is, we, you know, we've got to work hard, but we also got to work hard at working smart. Okay. There's a lot of things I want to go into here, but let's start with the breakdown. So working hard, working smart is essentially in my mind, I'm almost equating it to working in the business versus working on the business. So if you're new agent or new to a business or new in investing, 
what would you say should be the time split or the ratio split doing the actual work to generate the revenue versus, you know, the working on the working smart? You know, um, uh, I don't know if, if there's a perfect ratio for every, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, um, uh, but I'll break down. It, it depends on what phase that you're in, you know? Um, so you can get like, okay, with my real estate business, like all 100% of my time is allocated on working on the business. You know, I don't work in the business at all. Right. Um, no, in the beginning, dude, like all my time was, I mean, it was essentially for the, when I say that it's, you know, um, like I'll tell new agents, um, uh, you know, it's like, dude, you know, whatever their work hour is, let's just assuming that they're going to go out there and grind 10 hours a day in the real estate business. You know, then from there, I'm like, all right, dude, like spend two hours a night. In addition to that, mastering your craft, you know, just give me two hours a night, you know? Um, um, but then from there, yeah, with time allocation. And I've always looked at this, like, you know, especially like those that are growing a team, let's just say, and they're in the beginning inceptions of this. I've always allocated it based on the, the revenue that's coming in from the business versus the revenue that's coming in from me. You know, so if I was a team leader, beginning team leader, and I had, I don't know, four agents, let's just say, and, and you know, 90% of my business or revenue coming in the business was from my own production, right? And then 10% was coming in from theirs. Okay, well, I'm going to allocate my time accordingly. Okay, 10% of my time is going to be given to, you know, agents in my organization. 90%'s got to be on mine. Now I'm going to be so effective and efficient with that 10% of time that I can take that to scale that to 20%. You know, and then it's a red light, green light from there. Um, um, you know, but I, I, you know, again, I mean, what I always preach to new agent students is, is where they're going to be spending the abundance of their time in it because they need sales. Do they need revenue? You know, right. They're going to, now I'll tell them 80, 20 rule as far as making sure that 80% of your time when it comes to actual working time is allocated on money-making activities and only 20% is on essential non-money-making activities, you know, but all of those is going to be classified as working in the business still, you know, right? Um, uh, but then from there, yeah, two, you know, two hours a night, you know, at a minimum, you know, um, uh, you know, I was just talking with a, with a dude today. And I'm like, look, man, if we, we go look at like an NFL team, just as an example, now I'm a big sports fan, but we can all, you know, get the analogy there. But it's like, you know, they spend like 50, 60 hours a week practicing on the field, watching the tapes to go step on the field for, for two or three hours, you know, right? Um, uh, where most entrepreneurs just are like, well, fuck, I'm going to quit practicing. I'm just going to show up on the field and play ball all day long. You know, I'm like, okay, I understand that we may not be able to give 40 to 60 hours a week to go out there and practice, you know, but you should be able to at least give two hours a day. And then from there, it's just how bad do you want it? You know, so for me, you know, it's like I wanted it bad. So I'd go out there and put in my 10 or 12 hour work days. And then I'd stay up, you know, all night and weekends, whatever, mastering my craft, you know. Um, um, so, you know, AKA working on the business, um, developing those skill sets, you know, and so forth. Um, uh, 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 you know, so it just, it, but two hours at a minimum, you know, is, is, and then from there, it's, you know, you're going to get to a position as you scale it up where, you know, the ultimate goal, at least for me, for any business is to, to always be firing myself, you know, right? Like I always, I always need to then, you know, get myself to a capacity and then identify the next best strategic play for me to be able to remove myself, right? So breaking this, so in the beginning, it, you know, it was like paperwork and then, right? then, they, then, you know, sales, you know, whatever that may be, but I'm always asking myself, like, what's that next strategic hire that I need to replace me so I can allocate then my time, energy, and attention on the next highest, best use of my time. You know, so it's just, you know, I'm just always looking to fire myself until the point, you know, where I've got several businesses now where, you know, yeah, I've been able to essentially replace myself in, in all scenarios. You know, like I hate playing CEO. Like I, I want to get a CEO in place as soon as possible too. Love it. Well, one of the things that I love that you're saying is essentially like it's it's the focus on skill that's important. I know when I went into sales, I, I left all 40 hours for the sales calls so that I could spend a hundred, I do the admin afterwards. And so it's like, even just the mental shift from like, Hey, you know, I'm just doing this to like every sales call. I should be reflecting on the skill during the call after the call and just getting in that mindset that like the skill is what's important in the vast majority of cases, the action and the skill. But I want to talk to you about hiring and firing. This is something that Tim and I talk about all the time, which is like fire yourself as fast as possible, which leads to the Peter principle, which is like in any company, right? You, you essentially elevate yourself to your high, the level of incompetence, right? So as you were firing yourself so fast, where did you notice in your business where it's like, oh, I ain't meant for this role or, oh gosh, like I'm in over my head now. Yeah. I mean, there, there's certain things that, you know, put some of it's that, you know, I'm not good in each business, dude, it's different. Like, okay. My software business, like, dude, I'm not going to go learn how to, to code, you know? Right. So there's going to be certain things that it's just like, it's just not at all, you know, not going to be a good use of my time or energy, you know, w w within that thing.
thing. So each business can kind of differ with that. Um, um, you know, like do the, the you know, it, as much as I love numbers, yeah, I love reviewing the numbers. But like, I hate the whole, you know, data entry, bookkeeping, you know, so that like, that's something like if I ever got to be in that role, it's for short as little time as possible. Um, um, you know, creative stuff, you know, editing, graphic stuff, you know, like, dude, I'm, I absolutely suck at it. And, and it's just not a good, like, I could get good at it. You know, I've discovered, you know, at least for myself that there, there's nothing that I haven't been able to, if I apply myself to, to get you know, decently good at it, you know, um, uh, so, you know, but, but then you always got to be asking yourself too, of, of not just from an enjoyment factor, but does this make sense? You know, um, um, and there's certain things that it just, uh, you know, it, from the time that it takes me to develop the proficiency in that thing, you know, right. Um, and then to do that thing. Okay. If that replacement cost, you know, for my time with that is it, like, there's, if it doesn't match the ratio, like I said, okay, it might, it might take me, you know, four years to go out there and be proficient enough in, in software development for me to be able to take on that role inside my own software organization. Well, to take four years to learn that skill, like it just wouldn't be a proficient use of my time to ever do that. You know, right. Um, you know, uh, 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 you know, so that, I guess that's really how I look at it is, is, you know, I just do the calculation of this is, is, you know, one, is this a thing I enjoy? Um, or number two is the time allocation does the calculation work where this is worth my time to do this, you know? Um, and, and dude, you know, I try to stick to the things I'm good at, you know, um, um, you know, like I love sales, I love marketing. So I try to stick to those things, content creation, you know, and so forth. I don't know if that's really answering your question, but. Totally. Which skill did you not have coming in the business that you're most proud that you were able to add? Man, that's a, you know, oh, man, that's a good question, dude. I haven't really thought of that. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot, dude, but, um, you know, I mean, just business building in general, dude, you know, right. Um, you know, system, well, I want to say not just business building, but when I think of business building, I think of so much of system building, you know, it, it was like, dude, I, I was not like, I'm not innately good at systems and processes, you know, and, and, and like I said, tracking was, was difficult for me in the beginning and, and until enough pain was injected in my life, that wasn't something that I did. But, you know, when Ari, like when, when the great financial crisis hit, um, you know, and, and at that, and then that, you know, we got in position ourselves, a lot of these different banks, a lot of these different short sales. So we went from, you know, maybe I was managing, you know, I don't know, 50 to a hundred listings at any given time on a, you know, a traditional business between myself and my team to now all of a sudden we're scaling up to hundreds and hundreds, you know, um, um, and to be able to operate with that in the, you know, cause prices just, you know, no, I mean, we were selling 50, $60,000 properties, dude, you know, right. So, you know, in order to be able to make that, the margin's good. Okay, man, we, we had to become systematic, dude. Like, like, and, and, but that also showed me the power of systems. Um, you know, learning that skill set. Um, and it's not only is it just, I mean, I don't know if anything, I, you know, I, 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 when it comes to a pride thing, I don't know if any of them makes me, you know, more prideful than the others, but I'll say as far as an impactful skill set that I learned, um, that's made the, uh, just a massive big difference and probably the biggest overall difference in my business is the ability to go out there and learn how to build and scale through systems, right? Uh, um, you know, because at the end of the day, like, I don't know if there's much more important than that, you know, when, when at least in the businesses that I operate in, dude, it's like, okay, you know, I mean, it, it, you, you got to break down, okay, what are the step-by-step -step processes, you know, right? Like, that's just the A to Z to go out there and get the result that we want, right? You outline those, figure out what that best process is or the best one that you can come up with, for, you know, whether it be onboarding, whether it be sales, whether it be, you know, support, whether, whether, whether aspect of that business may be. Um, um, but then, okay, those processes need to live somewhere. You know, so then, okay, let me go out there and plug those into a system, right? So to ensure that those things aren't missed, you know, right? Um, but then when you have those systems and processes dialed in, now then I can proficiently and, and effectively go hire good, effective, you know, good people to plug into those systems, right? And then now I'm not stuck micromanaging them because if you do this right, it's like, okay, you, you then learn that, okay, my job is to manage the systems. The systems manage the people and hold the people accountable. You know, um, um, and it, dude, it's just been, so it's like, like, I don't care how good somebody is. If I go out there and hire most cases, um, they're not going to be able to show you their greatness unless they have great systems with proven processes to plug into, you know? So, so, you know, I guess again, eliminate pride from it, but something that is made the biggest difference from a skill set. It's the ability to go out there and, and, you know, uh, uh, identify the right processes and build effective systems. And that's what leads you to the desire to hire the CEO. Cause once those systems are in place, you're like, look, here's the systems you do the management so I can go on 
and and continue on either building more systems for another business, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, and it's, I mean with, with a COO for sure, you know, right? Or like an ops manager, you know, they're 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 just running the plays, you know, right? Um, you know, a CEO, it's a little bit different, you know, um, um, you know, because that CEO has got to you know carry the vision, and they might be, you know, th- they need to also have the ability to go out there and and uh, um, at least at the level that I'm at in businesses, I'm not running a Fortune 500 company, so it might be different at that level, you know, right? Um, uh, but, you know, the CEO needs to have the ability to go out there and, 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 you know, dictate what plays need to be also made based on the changing vision of the organization, you know, um, and then the COOs, you know, the office managers will go out there and execute, you know, those plays from there. So definitely for a COO, yeah, once you had like, whatever term you want to call ops manager, you know, whatever it is that you want to, you know, team leader, you know, um, um, but yeah, then from there, it's like, dude, yeah, because now, now they're just plugging in the systems, dude. Yeah. So you had a meteoric rise to success given your sales skills coming in the industry. Then you killed it in the industry. We have some similarities there. And I don't know about you, but I had this like a sense of almost invincibility after I got in the game and I'm like, dude, I'm taking so many listings. Like this is all working. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, squirrels, shiny objects come in and they feel like, well, I'm good at one business. So therefore I'm good at all businesses. And I could be good at them all at the same time. And that's like, for me, when I started getting whacked in the head, like give us like a little bit of your, you know, journey in the business. Like, now that you you have the coaching, the software, how do you know when it's right to go into a new business? How do you make decisions about your your businesses as a whole? Yeah, dude, um, I'm glad you brought that. Yeah, because man, this is one of the biggest mistakes I ever made in business. Now, you know Napoleon Hill, you know, talks a lot. He doesn't call them failures; he calls them temporary defeats. You know, and he he said in Think and Grow Rich. Um, you know, that your, your level of success can be in direct proportion to the amount of temporary defeats that you experience. So I don't look at any of this as a negative, even though, you know, most might deem this as a multi-million dollar mistake. I look at it as, hey, it's one of the best multi-million dollar learning lessons for me to go out there and learn. And, um, um, uh, and you know, the more painful, the more you're going to learn from the lesson. Yeah, right. Uh, so in, in what was it, 2017, you know, I got to the point where I'm like, okay, man, I, you know, I, I've got this system process thing down. I really enjoy back end of businesses, back end operations, logistics, you know, and so forth. And, you know, I'd already had enough businesses where I was kind of like the name and the face of the business. So I was like, okay, you know, there was a part of me that really just wanted to be like the back end behind the curtain, you know, um, um, you know, person in, in all new business ventures going forward. So then I was like, all right, let, let me, let me build a team. Um, well, we will handle the back end operations. Like, you know, so I had, you know, like from bookkeepers to, to, you know, videographers, editors, developers, you know, any, anything from the back end of any type of business, you know? So then I was like, okay, let's go out there and set these strategic partnerships where, you know, we get somebody that, that, you know, has the knowledge at whatever it is, let's just say, you know, Operators, somebody yep. that's you know a badass house flipper they know how to go out there and flip houses they they but they want to be the name they're going to be the face they know the process right but maybe they don't know how to market it and they don't want to run all the back end stuff that slows them down bogs them down okay well we'd set up a 50 50 partnership strategic partnership my team would take care of all the back end so they could just go out there and you know, create the front end. And we, I mean, we're creating a lot of different products. I mean, in a lot of different niches, a lot of different industries, you know, um, uh, we got deep into healthcare and, 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 you know, working with optimal health physicians, you know, throughout the country and all, all different ventures, you know, um, uh, but what I didn't account for in that was that the, the different avatar for each different business, right. And, and the amount of energy that it takes to then get that kind of intimate knowledge that you need for each different avatar to really be successful with marketing deployment. Um, and then, and then from there, um, I didn't, didn't anticipate the different strong personalities of each different business partner, you know? Um, uh, so it, you know, cause I was like, all right, you like, I can go out to scale to a hundred plus of these, you know? Right. And I was like, all right, this is, you know, I'm going to go out there and, and become a billionaire, you know? Right. And, and, uh, uh, it was, it was a tough lesson, man, you know? Um, uh, ended up having to exit from, from, uh, you know, most of them. I mean, anything that didn't live in the same ecosystem. And with that, you know, because dude, it was, it got to a point where every single day, like I, I had to make a decision of who am I going to let down today? Right. Like, like I, I, I was, I took on, like, it was just way up beyond my balls. capacity. First time mm-hmm. in my life, you know, I, I couldn't pull my own weight. I, so, you know, it was just, it, it was, it was, I, you know, put myself in, in a tough spot, but then I, you know, even worse than that, I put my business partners in a tough spot, you know? Um, so, uh, in, you know, cause a lot of those partnerships, I also funded, you know, I, I was the bank, I funded them, you know? Um, and, uh, uh, 
you know, for each one that I had to part ways with, you know, I gave my partners everything. I was just like, hey, guys, like, this is my screw up, you know, right? Because um, to be honest with you, if I would have made them not just go on their own without me, you know, um, um, without the team that I brought, but then have to pay, you know, back the, the, the capital that I invested, like it, it would have crushed them all you know, um, or at least most of them. And I was like, okay, I can't do that. You know, right. So I let them have everything. I was like, we're not going to, I'm not going to hold you the operations agreement. I made sure everything was, you know, cause everything was built like on our cert. Like I had to make sure like we had to essentially rebuild. I mean, it took me 18 months to go through the exits, you know, so you rebuilt get, you everything know, to, gave it. Oh my word. Yeah. You know, um, but it was the right thing to do, you know, which, which um, don't get me wrong, dude. I mean, I've, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've screwed up a lot, you know, but it always hasn't been intentional, you know, right. When, 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 you know, when, when I can, I try to do the right thing, you know, and, and to me, I felt that that was the right thing to do. Um, but the big learning lesson there for me was, okay, like I need to make sure everything is, is, it feeds off the right ecosystem, you know, um, um, you know, so everything complements each other. So like an example of this, like an, okay, in real estate. Yeah, I, you know, you can build your real estate brokerage or your team or whatever. Okay, well then from there, okay, now now I can go out there and open a mortgage company. I can go out there and open a title company. I can go out there and open these things in with strategic partnerships because I don't want to have another job. I don't have more jobs, you know, right? So let's just say I do a joint venture, you know, with with a mortgage company. My job though is still like the more that I grow the the real estate brokerage or the you know the real estate team. You know, the more deals we're able to go out there and push the mortgage company, everybody wins, you know, but you get them in that same ecosystem, you know, so, so it's like, okay, like what's that domino that I can flick and then it, you know, spins out all the other dominoes. It's like, okay, I've got my podcast, right? My podcast is kind of the hub um, the podcast then leads people into coaching, right? 42% of our coaching clients end up buying our software. So I've been able to, you know, we've had over 5,000 uh, uh, software clients, you know, in the six years that we, you know, started, started the software company. Like I've never had to spend this dollar marketing for that software, right? It, it's, it just, it leads, it goes up the ladder, you know, right? Um, um, because they live in the same ecosystem. And so it's, it's both vertical integration and psychographic integration, right? Same avatar, the client just comes straight from the other business. Yeah, I mean, at least for me, dude, you know, I, uh, Elon Musk, somehow that mofo can pull it off, you know, right? Um, um, you know, I, I'm not Elon Musk, you know, at least for me, I found that, that that's, you know, for me to go out there and scale and have the right leverage piece, the right vehicle, right? Because I mean, and that's what, like, the, when I was talking about systems earlier, I guess the, you know, main component of those systems is it allows you to then leverage further and further and further, you know? So, so for me, it's like, okay, to be able to, you know, have the biggest, leveraged vehicle that I possibly can. And I'm not talking about leverage from finance. I'm talking about, you know, okay, if I can figure out a way to go out, you know, it, it, you know Andrew Carnegie's quote of, hey, I'd rather make 1% off a hundred men's efforts than than hundred percent off my own efforts. You know, okay, so then how can I, you know, continue to, to you know, leverage that bigger, bigger, bigger. You know, it's like this mortgage, you know, company that um, we're launching here. Or that we're partnering with and, and we'll be up in about six to six to ten weeks here you know um not only you know am i going to go out there and, and be able to with the deals that we push it but any of my agents that decide to buy into it you know right well i'm going to get a 10 percent blip off of everything that they make as well as being a part owner of this mortgage company you know, right so then now instead of me just having mortgage deals for my own team where maybe i make you know, 25% or 50%, you know, maybe 25% of the gross, 50% of the, of the net of that, you know, whatever that looks like. Well, now I can go out there and get 500 agents buying into this and making 10% off of each one of those, you know. Totally. So you have expressed earlier, like in the healthcare days, like you didn't want to be doing the personal training, like the, the intimate relationship. You want to be back in system sales, marketing, et cetera. Like my experience with you has been so incredible from the sense, like, like the level of concern, care, like pouring into me, like I would have never guessed that you wouldn't have loved the personal training spot. So like, give us a sense of like, like you've had me in your house. I've slept in your house for what was like a couple days or a week, like where we whiteboarded, you know, campaigns and so on and so forth. So, so tell me like, what, what is it that makes you take, obviously like you love people. I mean, what you did for those businesses when you exited is just an unbelievable gesture. So kind of give us a deep picture of Joshua Smith. You know, dude, I, I just, I mean, I don't know if there's much to it, dude. Like I, I just, I mean, I love, love, you know, doing shit that I love doing. I, I love doing with people that I enjoy being with. I love, you know, building things that, that I believe to have an impact you know, I could make a lot of money going out there and open up McDonald's franchises, right? But I don't want to go out there and sell, you know, to me, I might as well go 
become a drug cartel, <laughs> right? Like, 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 okay, I'm going to do things that I believe in, that I believe are making an impact, um, um, you know, and, uh, and I want to do it with people that I enjoy doing it with, man. And, and I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if there's much more to it than that, dude. It's just, um, you know, cause it's, you know, I've, I've, I mean, the more success that you create in the beginning, like when you need money and you're broke as a joke, okay, it's easy to go out there and create motivation. It gets a little bit more difficult. You know, as as you grow and expand, and mm-hmm. you know, you know, it's like okay, at any point when you get to a point where you, you could just go exit, sell it, exit, and and you know, um, um, you know, so there's different things that then you know drive you at different parts, and and you know, so for me, it's just just that man, like I just I I, I love building, dude. Like you know, I've taken brief breaks. You know, the most recent one was I. Sorry, I got somebody at the door. My dogs are barking here. Um, you know, uh, not too long ago, um, and this was pro- dude. I just turned forty. Can you hear me? Okay, dude. Yeah, totally. You're, you're fine. Okay. Um, you know, so I don't know if I was having a midlife crisis or what, but I was like, dude, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Am I going down the right path? So I ended up taking about almost eight months off. Now I was still, you know, still had to work a little bit, but I was, you know, like an hour a day, you know, I mean, it was a few hours a week really of just the essentials that I need to get done. And, and I didn't, you know, part of me wanted to just go freaking cash out buy a farm. You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I just, you know, I, I knew that I needed to quiet the noise so I could actually think and figure out what I want to do. Because I didn't want to get to the point where I'm 80. I mean, you've heard me talk about this a lot of, you know, I try to reverse engineer, like, what that conversation is going to look on my deathbed. And, you know, uh, I'm like, all right, man, is this the path I really want to go down? You know, um, and what I realized during that path or that that moment, that time off, dude, was, you know, number one, that I'm most miserable when I'm not working and I'm not building. You know, um, uh, so like, okay, like that was like, okay, I just very evident to me, I can't retire, you know, right? Like, you know, I just, it, it was, it was, it was just miserable, dude. Like, I need to be out there grinding. I, you know, I can maybe take a couple of days off, but after that, like, I'm just, I need to be doing, you know, things that I enjoy building and, and, you know, doing with that. The other thing though with that was, you know, um, uh, I started looking at and going down the holes of, okay, well, what would it look like for, to get acquisitions for this other stuff? And, and as I started entertaining those and thinking about that stuff, man, it just, it just really came to light of like how much I just love what I'm already doing. Like just loving, you know, the real estate space and, you know, and, and all the different, you know, I'm involved in a lot of different spaces in that, but you know, it, it was just like, dude, like I'm in the right spot. I'm at the right place, you know? Um, so now, yeah, man, it's just, again, I just freaking love growth. I love expansion. To me, that's what life's all about. Dude. It's about growing and expanding. And, 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 you know, I've just found the vehicle that allows challenges to be the most that I love doing, doing that. And I love doing it with people that, you know, people like yourself, dude, you know, it, it's, I think the difference with personal training, you know, was, um, I don't know, people maybe felt maybe they had to be there and didn't want, I mean, I, I don't want to say that I hated personal training. I had some clients that I didn't, you know, when I did it for a brief period of time, you know, but a lot of people was like, dude, I showed you five times how to do squat. I don't know why you can't do this. Like, it was just like, you know, I, I don't like, like to handhold people, yeah. you know, and, and there's a big difference, dude, between, okay, you know, working with a mentoring and maybe, you know, coaching a guy like you, you know, right. Well, dude, like, I don't have to try to motivate you. I don't have to inspire you. I don't like, dude, like you get it. You're already motivated. You're already driven. Like we're talking about, you know, high level business. I mean, that's a whole different concept, you know, than somebody that's lazy that you're having to babysit and handhold. And, you know, uh, um, um, I'm just not a handholder, dude. You know, right. It's like, Hey man, you know, I'll, I'll facilitate an environment where if you choose to plug into that, you can go out there and absolutely murder it. But you got to choose to plug in. And I'm not going to beg you to get your ass out of bed. If you want to show up, cool. If not, fucking stay in bed. I don't care. I will find other people that want to want to show up, you know, right? Like I get asked all the time, like, dude, like, how, how do you motivate your people? I'm like, dude, I just hire motivated people. Like I, <laughs> I, I learned a long time ago, you can't motivate human beings, dude. You got people, I don't know what it is, man. Whether it's a life event or just the way people are wired, some people are, 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 are driven and, and they're ready to go out there and get shit done. Others aren't, but I'm not here to figure out, the, you know, break that down, dissect it. Like I, I don't have enough time to go out there and try to motivate people. I'm just going out to hire motivated people that have big goals, that want to kick ass, that want to crush it. They just need the right platform to plug into, you know, um, um, you know, with the right structure and then boom, you know, it's fire from there. Love it. Let's talk about the psychographics. When you developed the avatar, did, I mean, did you fall in love with that avatar? Are you that avatar? Like, give us an example of you in relationship to the, the person you market to. Yeah. So, so, you know, okay. So when I go through the, the lead gen framework, lead generation strategy framework, right. Um, 
No, I mean, I, I guess that there's been certain avatars. Yeah, that that is like, okay, in a perfect world, your ideal client or avatar, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, people that you enjoy working with the best that, you know, but it's just, dude, the world is not perfect. Yeah, right. Um, um, and I will just speak to, you know, the real estate business um, and industry, you know, right. Um, um, you know, I've looked at, okay, in a perfect world, it would be, like, okay, who do I enjoy working with the best? Who do I connect with the best? Who sends me the most repeat referral business, you know, and, and whether that be on the agent side or, or the buyer seller side, you know, right. It, it's all the same game, you know, either couldn't buyer sellers, agents or your leadership team to go out there and do those things for you. Um, um, but again, the world's far from perfect. So I got to also look at opportunity, you know, so as an example, you know, one of my agents, this is a couple of years ago, we were breaking down a new, you know, whiteboarding out some strategy. And I asked her, I'm like, well, like, who, who's your ideal client? And she was like, first time buyers. I'm like, all right, do time out. Like, I don't care how good you are with them. I don't care how good you are. You can be the best, you know, person on the planet, lead generating, converting them, you know, serving them, supporting them. You can't, like, there's no product to sell them right now. You know, at that point, you know, prices have exceeded, like, they were obsolete in our market. You know, so, so we're always having to look at also, like, where is that opportunity? What's the opportunity fit? You know, if you look at going back to the great financial crisis, yeah, dude, I didn't necessarily enjoy, you know, um, uh, working with short sales. You know, I mean, it was nice to be able to help some of them out, but there was a lot of it. It was, dude, it was sticky. It was a pain in the ass. It was messy, you know, right? Or having to work for a lot of these financial institutions, asset managers, banks, where you're, you're becoming it. And there, dude, again, there's always some good ones, but the vast majority treated me like a human punching bag, you know? Um, um, but, you know, like one, one good REO account could be, you know, seven plus figures of, of revenue, revenue just from, yeah. on an annual year over year basis from, you know, I mean, I was in one of the hardest hit markets in, in the country when it came to, you know, the house. So it was like, dude, if you want heavy and REO and short sales, you know, you definitely weren't thriving. Maybe you were surviving, but I'm, I'm here to thrive, dude. I'm here to, you know, um, you know, so I'm always looking, okay, like where's that opportunity at? So you had to have the ability to go out there and read markets because there is no such thing as a good market or a bad market. The market is always good for somebody as real estate professionals. We need to identify whom that current market is good for, then adapt, uh, you know, adapt our, our marketing, prospecting efforts focused to whom it's good for, right? So then from there, I'm like, okay, well, who, who's it good for? Like, where's it at? Like right now, you know, for the first time that we are seeing now, starting to see here in Phoenix, Arizona is multi-generational, multi-generational buyers. Because the unaffordability is so crazy low, you know, um, you know, so, okay, you got, you know, kid like millennial kids that are teaming up with their boomer parents. They're all buying a house together, but they're residing in the house together. They're, you know, I know parts of California that's been, you know, kind of happening for a long time, Co-living. but it's mm-hmm. new here, you know, right? Okay. Well, like, I don't care who, like, you got to have that ability to go out there and read markets. So when I know who that ideal client is, and again, each ideal client, because you, you know, a lot of times you're going to have a m- multiple different ideal clients. I'm going to take them through this framework separately. You know, um, um, so, okay, who's the ideal client? And then boom, what's the demographics, right? So I can go out in as much, you know, age, marital status, income bracket, you know, as much, as much data as I can get off of them. Yeah. And then from the psychographics, you know, um, uh, you know, like what keeps them up at night? You know, what, what are their fears? What, what are their passions? What are their pain points? What are their, and, and it can get pretty complex when you really get into that. But the, the simplistic, you know, answer for that is just, again, like, what is that thing that's prohibiting them from moving forward? So in 2020 and 2021, right, one of my, one of my long-term ideal clients from my whole entire career has been move-up buyers. You know, and I love it because, dude, they got a house to sell. They got a house to buy. One cost per acquisition, double the commission. It's the least resistance. Like, I, I never go, you know, because I already have the relationship. It's just to come list me, you know, right, because um, we start on the buy side, you know, and so forth of, of how we've constructed that. So, you know, very low resistance, double the money, half the marketing costs, right? Um, well, then all of a sudden they became obsolete. You know, because uh, it got to a point where Can't every single it. property had 50 plus offers on it, you know, whatever it may be. Um, so then it's like, okay, they got home A, they need to go out there and sell in order to go buy home B. And, and they want to do it, but now they can't. Okay. So then that's that. Okay. That's part of that psychographics. That's that pain point. Right. So when I identify that, that I figure out a way to overcome that, that becomes my unique selling proposition. That becomes my differentiator. You know, so, and it doesn't matter if you know, I'm recruiting agents, you know, right. I, I got to make sure I know what my unique differentiators are that separates me from everybody else, you know? Um, so then from there, you know, you got to go to the drawing board. So I'm like, okay, well, how can we solve this? Well, you know, we have a subset of these investor clients over here that had nowhere to park their capital, you know, um, cap rates have just became crap out here and they, you know, they need to put their money to work. So we're like, okay, let's put these pieces together, figure this out. And, and it took a little bit of time, but okay, we could got our investors to come in. They could come, you know, put an offer on the current home that they're in. If that was uh, uh, verbally accepted, okay, we'd go out, pick out the house that my clients wanted. Investor would step in, buy home B, 
pay cash for it, get that deal done. As soon as that closed, they close on home A and then they sell them back home B. And, and it was, you know, like the process would take like four days, you know, right? Like we had everything outlined, everything dialed in, you know, for that. Um, well, my investor makes 7%, you know, right? So, so you know, let's just say between those two, two acquisitions, you know, you got a million dollars that the investor has and that would make it 7% on a million, you know, within, you know, having them capital tied up for four or five days. Like there's nowhere else they were going to get that kind of return in, in that, that landscape. Um, but everybody won, you know, right? Um, my clients were happy to do it and, and even pay the extra in addition to commissions because they were obsolete otherwise, you know, right? So that's, you know, like understanding that. Okay, right now it comes down to interest rates. Like who's my market good for right now? It's buyers, you know, right? Like good same house for $100,000 less today. There's 3.7X the amount of inventory out there. They no longer have to settle for a property. They can find out exactly what they want, get the house for $100,000 less, but interest rates, you know, okay, well, then we're like, oh, how do we solve that? You know, dude, I've been doing this for 18 years. I had no idea up until about a year ago that you could get a 9% seller concession on, on um, uh, a conventional loan. I've never had a, an environment where my clients needed it, you know, that much of a significant, you know, we just go in there and just hammer on the list, price, you know, whatever differently. Um, so then it's like, okay, well, if I can get a 9% seller concession, use two or 3% of that for closing costs, have, you know, five to 6% of that you know, for, for that rate buy down. Well, now we've solved all those problems. Well, we're able to find it's the best time to buy on all fronts, every KPI, every metric that it's best time to buy in three plus years. Well, then from there, you know, now I can go out there and articulate that message in a different message than my competitors are. Because again, all I'm trying to do is, is, is articulate to the consumer that I'm the best guy to get them from where they're at to where is that they want to go. And whoever can articulate that message um, um, is going to go out there and win. And it's the same in any, dude, again, sales is all pain and pleasure. People are experiencing some, some type of pain. They want to get out of that pain. They want to get the pleasure. It doesn't matter if you're buying shoes, perfume, real estate, it's all the same shit.